Well, this morning I want to talk to you about a mission that is possible. Amen? I remember that Mission Impossible came on as a TV series and I was just a little kid and I used to love the theme song of it. And I remember that every episode that came on, there was some mission that indeed was impossible. There was a case that was impossible to crack. There was a crime that was impossible to solve. Or there was a person that was impossible to find. And somehow this particular man that you saw uh, with all of his group would get together and uh, meet at a certain place. There would always be a tape recording. And they'd bring that tape recording out and it would always say at the end uh, something on this line. Jim, your mission if you choose to accept it is thus and so. And then it would say this uh, tape will self-destruct in five seconds. And it would go up and smoke. Well this morning I want to talk about the same thing. We have been given a mission from God. And again, what is that mission? To find the atoms of this world that are lost to sin. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9, it said, And the Lord called unto Adam and said to him, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And indeed, this morning we have been given a commission, not from the CIA, not from uh, the FBI, but from the throne of God itself. And the reason we have been given a mission, a commission, and a mandate from God is because society in general are going through a time of self-destruction. Humanity is destructing itself, if you will, killing itself with sin and all the things that go along with it. We had better choose to accept the mission given to us from the Lord. It may look like an impossible task, but with Christ all things are possible, and we know that for a fact. We, the church, have been assigned uh, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. Uh, Jesus rose from the grave and he gave what was called the Great Commission, when in reality it is the Great Reminder. And I say that because God had given the Great Commission to the nation of Israel. And Israel stumbled over Jesus Christ, therefore God cut them off, grafted into the church, uh, which is made up of born-again Jew and born-again Gentile. And we have the Great Reminder to do what the Jew failed to do, and that we are to take the Gospel around the world, uh, that all people might be birthed into the kingdom of God. With that being said, when the God gave the, when Jesus gave the command for us to go, no sooner had the command been given uh, that the power of the promise was placed upon us, we received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, not just so they could speak in tongues, but they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit that they might be endued with power from on high, that they might go out and take the gospel around this world. The Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was all about the harvest, and Pentecost is still about the harvest. I am grateful for all the denominations in America, for all of those that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, but I'm grateful to be part of the Assemblies of God because we are a missions-giving and a mission-sending and a missions-praying identity uh, here. It will not be the Assemblies of God that wins the world, but it will be the God of the Assemblies uh, that indeed will get the job done around this world today. Go back with me this morning, if you will, uh, just for a moment. Again, with the promise, the command to go was the promise where they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's still not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord God of hosts. Now go back this morning to the beginning of mankind. Adam and Eve enjoyed the beauty of walking in the paradise of God uh, with Him. Uh, they enjoyed the beauty of walking hand in hand uh, there in that utopia of Eden. Picture life there this morning. No traffic. No hustle, no bustle uh, of the busy streets, no noise, no stress, uh, no type of pressure, no sickness, no politics, uh, no sin, no, de no deception at that moment. And there was certainly no death and no dying, what to say. Uh, what a beginning for the human race. And God said of his creation, it 
is good. When he created Adam and Eve, it is very good. And he was happy and pleased uh, with the crown of his creation, uh, which indeed was the, uh, the Adam and Eve. But there came a great calamity. Uh, notice, I'm not sure how long that Adam and Eve walked together hand in hand. I'm not sure how long they walked with God in peace and harmony until sin hit them right between the eyes and their hearts were forever ruined. I remind you that Eve was tempted by Satan and she sinned and come short of the glory of God. And since then came, she came to her husband and he fell head first into the deception of sin. We talk about the fall of man. Adam didn't fall. He took a running leap. His eyes were wide open. He knew exactly what he was doing uh, when he sinned at that particular time. Again, Adam failed Eve, uh, failed, uh, uh, Adam and Eve failed each other and Adam and Eve failed heart, uh, the heart of God itself. Hand in hand, that first couple walked into Satan's trap and the utopia was over. Paradise was lost. Spiritual death came over them instantly, but it took years and years and years uh, for physical death to uh, uh, rot away uh, the very core of their physical body and all the consequences of sin. The beauty of Eden is now gone. The beauty of Eden is now replaced with thorns and thistles. Beautiful flowers are now placed upon the graveside. Uh, bees would sting. Uh, snakes would ingest their venom, poison venom into human beings. Uh, mosquitoes would bite. And we also know uh, that, that, that ticks and other wild animals, whatever, uh, rabbit animals can now uh, bring pain and disease upon humanity as well. Uh, peace replaced pain. Uh, death replaced life. Honesty was replaced with lies. Love was replaced with lust. And beauty was replaced uh, with ashes. Fellowship with God was now broken. Uh, fellowship with God was destroyed and it was separated. And now Adam and Eve uh, were left to fend for themselves on their own. Way to go, Adam. A paradise has been lost. A sin has entered in. And now Satan uh, is in control in many, many respects. Things were so bad in the Garden of Eden now that sin entered in uh, that God had to send an angel with a flaming sword uh, to make sure that Adam and Eve would not eat uh, from the tree of life that would have forever damned uh, the soul of mankind to a lost eternity. A man was shut out of the garden. As a matter of fact, the word Eden today is used merely uh, to express an unimaginable fantasy world. And Adam and Eve, before they were driven out of the garden, uh, they had a beautiful thing going on. Uh, there was a love fest going on. But no, if you will, it was a love fest that basically uh, went awry. Adam and Eve broke the heart of God. They failed to heed the word of God. They failed to heed the warning of God. And they themselves took for granted God's love. They took for granted God's companionship. And they took for granted God's provisions. They listened to the voice and the persuasion of the interloper, uh, which was Satan himself. And the result was the bitter taste of separation. Uh, the bitter taste of destruction and deterioration and death and damnation uh, for everybody that sinned. Uh, my friend, I remind you that decisions do have consequences. And I'm here to tell you, Eve ate Adam out of house and hold, uh, but I remind you that God had a plan uh, to bring us back. Uh, the Bible lets us know over and over again, uh, this scenario is lived out daily in the Word of God. It's lived out daily in America and it's lived out daily among the people groups around the world that men and women are still in sin. Uh, they're still separated from God and they have one foot on a banana peel and another foot ready uh, to go into hell. Sin brought separation and sin still 
still bring separation and deterioration and destruction and death and damnation both physically and spiritually as well. Now God came to Edom. Came down in the cool of the evening. Adam, uh, he looked around and couldn't find him. And the Bible said that Adam and Eve went and hid themselves because their eyes were open. They recognized they sinned against God and therefore they hid themselves. But let me tell you something, friend. You cannot hide from God. God knows every dark place that mankind's in. He knows every sin that man's committing. He knows everything there is to know about us. Every hair on our head's numbered. For some of us, that's no big deal. But every hair on our head's numbered. God knows everything about us this morning. Uh, here, God came down Adam. He looked for him. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was at, but God wanted Adam to know where Adam was at. Separated from God. Separated from the voice of God. Separated from the peace of God. And separated from eternity of the living God as well. One translation of that cry from God says it like this. Trying to capture the loss of God's heart. Adam, how can I give you up? Adam, how can I give you up? Nothing has ever been the same since that day. Paradise lost. Humanity separated from God in isolation from God. What pain that must have brought to the heart of God. How many of us have children that's rebelled against mom and dad? What kind of a heart does that leave us broken with? Can you imagine God over and over and over have loved the entire world and they have broken the heart of God? How that breaks his heart. The crown of his creation doomed to destruction. An eternal where humanity is separated from God and a hell that's been prepared for the devil and his angels eternally separated from God. Friend, sin is costly. Sin is deadly. But sin can be forgiven and that's why the church exists. The great calamity, look at the great cause. Despite the sin of Adam and Eve, we see the amazing grace, the amazing mercy, and the amazing love of God displayed toward fallen people throughout Scripture. That's the great cause. Of all the religions in the world, of all the so-called deities in the world, there is only one God, Yahweh, Jehovah, Rapha. He's the only God that comes searching, uh, looking for that which is lost. Of all the other religions, of all the other isms, of all the other deities of this world, uh, men have to cut themselves offer up sacrifice, do all types of this and all types of that, trying to find their God, trying to reach out to their God. But even in a fallen sinful position, our God comes down. Adam, where are you? And around the world, the voice of God is still crying out. Adam, where are you? Josh, where are you? Bill, where are you? Martha, where are you? Fred, where are you? Henry, where are you? Lost in sin, he cries out your name because his blood was shed for your soul's salvation. God came down looking and searching and crying out for mankind. Can I say this? God was on a campaign to win Adam back to himself. God was on a campaign uh, that Adam might have peace again. God was on a campaign that Adam might have life again. Adam, uh, God was on a campaign uh, that he might have fellowship with him again. God was on a campaign that sinful man and holy God might be at peace with one another. God was on a campaign to bridge the gap from hell to heaven and God was on a campaign to destroy death and to destroy sin and to destroy Satan and to give life and to give that life more abundantly. 
God never stopped loving Adam in a sinful condition. God never stopped loving the lost. God has never stopped loving the rebellious. God never stopped loving the human race, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of what continent you may live on, regardless of what family you were born into today. God never stopped loving the lost. And even when he gave up on the world, the world was so wicked uh, that he was going to destroy it, but he found a man, a righteous man, by the name of Noah. And Noah's sons boarded up on that ship. He found that exception. And later we find out that when he was ready to destroy Israel again, he told Moses, let me start all over with you. But Moses said, oh Lord, I pray thee, yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin and have not blot me, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. God's mercy, God's grace. It's not God's will that any perish. Not just America. It's not God's will that any perish, but that all come to everlasting life. The great cause in his relentless search for the solution to the great calamity. Eventually, God allowed the northern tribe of Israel to go into Syrian captivity. Later, he allowed the southern tribes to go into Babylonian captivity. Why? In order that they might be exposed to their sin and repent of their sins and come back and have peace with God. God is reluctant to punish, but he does. God is slow to anger, but his anger will be outpoured in wrath one day upon a society, upon a people group, upon a world that sinful people that do not accept him. But his mercy shines through his dealing with mankind. His grace shines uh, through his dealing with mankind. His love shines uh, through his dealing with mankind. He's not a God of vengeance. He's a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God of reconciliation. Sin was man's plight. But Jesus Christ, the Lord, is the answer to man's plight. The message of the church and the message of salvation and the answer is the answer to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The church is the agency that God uses to bridge the gap between sinful man and a holy God. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but I get a little perturbed sometimes. When I hear evangelists on television, God love them, God bless them, I don't want to die on that hill. But they act like if they go off the TV screen, God's going to go out of business. God has not given the Great Commission to a preacher. God has not given the Great Commission to an evangelistic society. God has not given the Great Commission to an individual. God has left the Great Commission to the church. I'm not talking about the denomination. I'm talking about the church of the firstborn whose names are written down in glory. We share the good news in a bad news world. We witness to the mercy and grace of God. We tell others what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus is doing for us, and what Jesus is going to continue uh, to do for us. Thank God we can serve him here and now, and we'll be faithful in hard places. He'll trust us in heavenly places, and he's got a retirement plan that is out of this world, praise God. The new Eden, a city prepared for all that love the Lord. Adam fell. But Jesus is always there to pick him back up. That's our story to tell. That's our story to live. That's our story to proclaim. Why? Because of the great Calvary. Long before Adam and Eve was ever created, long before Adam and Eve ever sinned, long before the, the, the Garden of Eden was ever placed there, long before calamity happened to the garden, God set in motion and he devised a master plan long before the world's ever existed. It's called Calvary. 
Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. It's a brilliant yet shocking solution that could not fail. It was a plan that required God himself to be the answer for the calamity that happened to Adam and Eve. God became man. God became the sacrifice. Jesus became man. 100% God, 100% man. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He who knew no sin became sin. Uh, he, the Son of God uh, left heaven to become the Son of men, that the Son of man might become the sons and daughters of the living God. I'm going to tell you, we serve a God who has a plan that loves us so much. He himself became the sacrifice of on the altar that we might be uh, saved and birthed again into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah! For Calvary this morning. There's power in the blood. There's power in Calvary. And God has not changed his mind about it. His name is Jesus. And he would be the sacrifice for the sins of Adam and Mary. God himself in the form of a man. The most inconceivable sacrifice ever placed upon. You know the problem with human sacrifices? We wiggle off the altar. Think about it. As human sacrifices, we wiggle off the altar when it's uncomfortable. But Jesus Christ didn't wiggle off the altar. He became the ultimate sacrifice for the ultimate sin of the entire world. And I rejoice in knowing he stayed on that. That was God's sacrifice, a divine agony, the agony of the cross, praise God. And it was the great Calvary. He who knew no sin became sin. And Jesus was both just and justifier to all of us who accept him as our Lord and Savior. Praise God. The great Calvary is the centerpiece to the great cause of God. Calvary was God making a way to bring back life to death. Calvary was God's way of making a way for man uh, to be uh, friends with him again. Calvary was God making a way for man to have peace with God again. Calvary was God's way of making sins be forgiven. Calvary was God's way of making a man uh, being able to miss hell and enjoy fellowship with God in heaven uh, throughout all eternity. Calvary was God making a way. Calvary was God making a way of pronouncing to Satan himself that there's a cry of refuge where the guilty can come to a city of refuge and find mercy and find grace. I remind you, coming to Calvary does not mean that God has hidden our sins, but coming to Calvary tells me that God has washed away our sins as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah said, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. How many times did the devil say, remember that sin you did? When Satan reminds you of your past, won't you just remind him of his future? Come on, amen. Friend, you'll never win an argument with the devil. No. There's no sense you rationalize. He's the accuser of the brethren. He goes before God every day. Did you see what David did? Did you see what Charlie did? Uh, did you see what Bill thought about? And here's the thing. Normally what Satan tells God about you and me is probably the truth. But what he tells you of me about God's a lie. <laughs> we go before, the devil goes before God. Did you see, did you see? We put it under the blood. Gone as far as the east is from the west. There's a lot of corpses in closets. Keep the cotton picking door closed. And let the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, take care of it. We've been given a great commission. Jesus died on the cross carrying the sins of the world in his body. His death was a sacrifice of sin. His blood satisfied the righteousness of God. I thought he was going to help me. I was ready. His blood was the righteousness of God. 
His blood is pure. His blood is holy. His blood has never been tainted. And thank God the blood of Jesus Christ does, did, and will always satisfy the heartbeat, the righteousness, and the wholeness of God. He died for our sins, but He rose from the grave for our justification. I don't know what that does for you, but when God looks at me, He looks at me through the blood of His Son. They crucified him because he claimed to be the Son of God. He came out of that grave because indeed he is the Son of God. And now you and I are justified as long as we're under that blood. And that to me simply means just if I'd never sinned. And when Satan said, look what you did, I say, no, look what Jesus did. And you are a defeated foe. I trust the blood. I covered by the blood. I'm washed in the blood. And when God sees me, he sees me different. He sends you, Satan, you are going to hell and you're going to burn forever and ever because you spit in the face of God and you're trying to drag everybody else in. You're not going to drag me by the grace of God. I plead the blood overcome you every day by the word of my, by the word of my testimony and by the blood of the Lamb of God. And if you and I just start pleading the blood, if we'll just start holding up our testimony, if we'll just tell the devil whose we are and what he's done for us, if we resist him, he'll flee, but if we'll hang on to God, he'll show up in power, he'll show up in anointing, he'll show up in glory, he'll show up, my friend, and say, I love you. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You'll never get strong by looking at your past. You'll never get strong by looking at your weakness, but if you look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and we don't work our way to God. We enjoy fellowship and communion with our God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. At first glance, prior to the return to heaven, Jesus put into place a plan to reach the lost with a message of Calvary. We call it the Great Commission. We call it going around the world and taking this gospel. At first glance, it only seems an impossible task. It sounds inadequate. Yet the great commissions, the divine arrangement that calls every believer, you and I, that have been born again, to become part of God's great delivery system. Since Jesus died for all, God wants everybody to know that they can be free, that they can be saved, they can be born again. Thus, every believer is to be a witness. We're to be a soul winner. We're to be an equipper. We're to be an enabler to send people that can go where we cannot go. As believers, we're appointed by God to carry the good news of Calvary and the empty tomb to all people groups, to all nations, to all tribes, to all languages, and to all tongues. We're commissioned ones. There's a need, there's no need to fear or be overwhelmed with this thing called missions. God knows we cannot do it on our own. And we can't. Friend, we couldn't heal a fly if had a broken wing. But notice what Jesus said before leaving this earth. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. He enables us to obey the Great Commission to do our part in telling the world about Calvary and the Jesus that hung on the cross and the Jesus that overcame the tomb. When we obey, we can know the joy of participating in that which pleases the heart of God. The Great Commission. We have a great obligation. Knowing about the Great Commission is not enough. Being involved in the Great Commission is not enough. We must be committed to the Great Commission. Being committed to the Great Commission is not only, in my opinion, being obedient in making sure our missionaries get across the pond. It's also our obedience 
to the holy idea of justice. What do I mean by that? Why should we have the joy of salvation? Why should we have the peace of God in our hearts? Why should we have the hope of heaven in our life? Why should we have all the blessings that Jesus Christ does for us and did for us, all these benefits of Calvary, and not care about the millions of people that don't have it? Why should we embrace everything and enjoy peace and mercy and grace and love and acceptance? Why should we have all the blessings of Calvary in our life and not be concerned about the multiplied millions that don't. We have an obligation. The Bible teaches us that salvation that Jesus offers is through His shed blood. You remember the day you accepted the Lord as your Savior? What was it like? Was it a bad day? No, it's the gospel, like the gospel. You take a pill. A lot of folk don't like taking pills. But this is the greatest pill I ever took in my life. What was it like when you accepted the Lord? For me, it was a difficult hour because I didn't have enough faith to believe what I was doing. It took me probably three weeks to accept it. I tried to talk myself out of it. And finally when I said, I'm saved, I went, man, I'm saved. I did everything I could. I prayed. I confessed. I asked the Lord in my heart. I did it all. And I was waiting for the thunder to flash and the lightning to flash and a whoosh boom to take place in my soul and it never happened. I was waiting to feel something before I believed it. And God said, believe something. You may or may not feel something. And I prayed and prayed and said, okay, God, I'm saved and everything I can do. And then, boom, the weight of sin lift, the joy of the Lord filled my heart, condemnation took off. Man, it was great. The ecstasy that was there, a peace filled my heart. Old things passed away. All things were becoming new. It was like the world and everything. It was brand new, and it was. Why? I was born again. There's a solace and an inner healing that comes from knowing God and having peace with Him through Jesus Christ. The same gospel we preach here is the same gospel that's preached overseas. It may be in a different language. It may be in a different setting. But I've watched them come to the altar over and over and over in Spain, uh, in Romania, in Africa. You name it, wherever I've been and preached the gospel, they've come. And I've watched the Lord do a miracle in their life because the blood that was shed 2,000 years ago is for the entire world. And it still works wherever it is proclaimed. But here's the point. We've got to get the missionaries there so they can get the job done. And that's the joy that we have today. The psalmist expressed the hope that all nations can be healed so that we truly trust the Almighty God for their salvation as well. Note what he said. And we sing this here. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. Salah that that way uh, may be known upon the earth the saving health among all nations, all people groups, all nations, all tribes, and all tongues must have a chance to experience and embrace God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's freedom, God's reconciliation, God's plan, and God's salvation. Mercy has no memory. Grace has no regret. And we've been given the message of reconciliation. We have here this morning and on that wall out there, a hundred and some missionaries and many of are in this room today that we support. They never stop reaching the masses of people. They see themselves as the cause one to spread the knowledge of his name to all people groups around the world. We call it Europe or Asia or North America or South America or the Antarctic or the Pacific or West Africa or North Africa or South Africa. Uh, you name it, the Caribbean, the Arctic Circle. 
These dedicated men and women take themselves and their families to remote places of this world that we wouldn't even go to on a day of vacation. But they go because they love Jesus and they go because the Lord has called them and commissioned them to go and do what they do. They are unreached people groups who need to hear the message of the cross. Lost souls need a Savior. Lost souls from every culture in this world will stand before the judgment bar of God. And they'll spend eternity either in heaven or hell, depending on whether or not they've accepted the Lord. But we've got to send these people. We've got to pray for these people that they can reach the masses while there is time. For many of us, we've not been called to go overseas, but I believe we have been called and commissioned of God and given a responsibility to help pray and send those financially that do go. Are you aware there are more missionaries ready to go that don't have the money to get there? And there are more people that need to be there than what we're sending today. They're massive. If you ever go on the AG, the Assemblies of God World Missions thing, and you'll see page after page after page after page after page of needs around the world and nobody to fulfill them. Pray and ask God if He wants you to go across the great pond and share the message. God calls them. They answer the call. But until we support them financially, until we support them prayerfully, they can't go. Every soul they touch for Jesus will have a part to play, I believe, in the reward to see a soul in heaven, to see some face from Japan or Africa or the Arctic or wherever it may be. And God reveals them and they say, you know, because, Charlie, because of your sacrificial giving to missions and that preacher that came, I, I'm saved. My word, won't that be great to have part in the kingdom of God like that? What a privilege and what a responsibility. Let me share with you quickly what you as a church did last year, even during the pandemic. We supported 110 missionaries last year in outreach ministries $100 each per month. According to my math, that's $10,330 a month we give just our missions. Speed the Light, we gave $945. BGMC, $23,436. Light for the Lost, the men's arm of the Assemblies of God. And by the way, they don't know Speed the Lights, the youth arm to uh, reaching the masses uh, where they get their cars, their boats, their horses, anything they ride or whatever. The youth in the American churches give it to them. BGMC, Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, our children, they give for all types of supplies. We go overseas and they love the BGMC materials that are given to them. Light for the Lost is the men's arm. Are you aware that there are people around this world that don't have Bibles to read and the men's ministry is producing what's known as a fire Bible and that fire Bible has been written in languages where there is no language in any Bible in their language and it's almost like a Bible school inside that Bible. Commentaries. Uh, you name it, it's in there and they love the fire Bible. For some of them it's the first time they've had a Bible in their language ever. Think of that. And they're having revival because the Bible, uh, they've, they've discovered it. And then also you gave $172,904 to the Simmons of God World Missions in 2020. Our local ministries, Lighthouse, $2,400. Anchor House, $1,200. A Woman's Choice, $2,700. Florida Baptist Christian Home, $1,200. And Wycliffe, $3,600. Three missionaries there. A total giving, another ministry is $2,400. Our total giving last year... $223,510 in missions, almost a quarter of a million dollars. Thank God for that. We're not a large church, but we have a large heart. We can't do it all. 
but we can do something. We've done something, but I'm always one saying we can get more. Amen. How do we get more, Pastor? I'm not going to beg for it. I'm not going to bum for it. I've, I've been pastoring 44 years. I've never asked for anything like it. not going to do it now. I will simply say this. Money follows vision. And as long as something is alive, it's going to cost us something, and the church is alive. May I encourage you to pray and ask God what He would have you to do beyond your tithe, beyond your offering, by way of supporting our missionaries around the world. We have the obligation, the responsibility, and yet we have the privilege to do what we do. Does our sacrificial matter? Yes. The Hags are here this morning, somewhere, there they are, they were up here earlier. They told me that since we've started supporting them in 2010, Wycliffe translators have reached 291 different people groups, totaling over 88 million people who received God's Word in their language for the first time. Think about that. In 10 years, the Wycliffe, I thought it was you alone, but you're saying your whole group, that's still okay. That ain't bad. <laughs> 88 million people. 291 different people groups. If that's just with the Wycliffe, what are we doing in Africa and Cuba and Japan and Tokyo and Ouagadougou? And there's a place in Africa called Ouagadougou. <laughs> it's right down the road from Tenkudugu. Been there, done that. This is the kickoff to our annual missions convention. What does missions mean? The act of going or sending, an assignment to work, sent to perform a service, to entrust. Jesus is depending on us to make a sacrifice in our giving. And I mean that, a sacrifice. And what we do is simply this, God, whatever he lays on your heart, and it may, I pray it'll be something big, I really do. Because you see, if it's something you think up, it won't be big. <laughs> but if it's something God thinks up and puts you on, it'll be big. And what you say, Lord, if you want me and my family to give $1,000 a month to missions, I don't have it, but if you supply it, I'll give it. And that's all it is. There's no bargain. I'm not going to knock on yours and say, hey, you made a pledge, don't do that. I'm just asking you, we serve a big God. And He's blessed us. I could give testimony. There are many in this room. You could give testimony of a sacrifice and given to missions, and when you gave it, it hurt because you didn't have it to give. I know for a fact. And then a few months later, hey, pastor, guess what happened? I got this great big raise. Where'd it come from? God knows what. You don't give to get, but as you obey God, God does. My wife and I, we've supported missions for years and years. We started out 25 a month, and that was the national debt. And today our missions giving equals a house payment. I don't say that to brag. I say that to give God the glory. And I pray I get a bigger house. What I mean by that, we can invest more in missions. Amen. Why? Because I believe in it. And I believe if we invest in the heartbeat of God, God is going to invest in us. Amen. We don't miss it. I'm here to tell you, we've not missed it. God does things. Some roofs don't wear out. Things don't wear out. I still got socks I had in fifth grade. You think I'm lying. And I'm going to get in trouble with this, but I'd still have the same underwear if she didn't throw them away. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I saw that look. <laughs> Stuff just don't seem to wear out. I mean, God does some phenomenal things. Yeah. I want you to understand, friend, 
you can't afford not to sacrificially give to missions. Come on. And if we are spirit-filled, and if we love the Lord, and I know we do, you proved it already, but let's love him a whole lot more and see what he would do in the next year. Amen? God blesses us. Let's continue to give. There are more missionaries needing our support than there is money to support them. But as we sacrifice and we give, the gospel will still be preached around the world and lives will be changed for time and for eternity. I close with this. Coca-Cola is a product that has far outgrown its humble beginnings. When I was in Africa for the first time in 1981, out in the middle of nowhere, I mean out in the middle of nowhere, I had Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola beat the missionaries to Africa in places. In 1886, Dr. John Pemberton first introduced Coca-Cola in Atlanta, Georgia. He was a farmer's concocted a caramel-colored syrup and a three-legged brass kettle in the backyard. Now, where I come from, there'd been something else boiling that. <laughs> and we spread that stuff around the mountains quick. You could always tell a moonshiner he had a, had a callus right here. That's where the fruit jar hit. Let me have a little caveat here. I was raised by my grandparents in West Virginia, and there was beer joint, beer joint, beer joint, hollows with steels, hollows with steels. For those who don't know what a hollow is, hollers with steels and hollers with steels, moonshine steels. I go back in that area today, the beer joints are either burned down and gone, or churches have been built in their place. It's amazing. It's amazing. The gospel works. Some of those drunkards up there in the mountains, thank God they're singing in choirs and they're playing music in church. The power of the gospel, if it can reach West Virginia, it can reach the world. And for those of us from West Virginia, you know what I'm talking about. A little more than 100 years, surveys show that 97% of the world has heard of Coca-Cola. 72% of the world has seen a Coca-Cola can. 51% of the world has tasted a can of Coca-Cola. All due to the fact that the company made a commitment years ago that everyone on the planet would have a chance to taste their soft drink. Wow. Pity God didn't give the Great Commission to the Coca-Cola company. But he's given it to us. And I'm saying if Coca-Cola can take their product around the world, the church can take the gospel with power and anointing around this world. We should stand up and take note. 97% of the world has heard of the sugar-coated thing called a Coke, while 1.7 billion worldwide have no access to the good news of Jesus Christ. It's estimated that 17 million people die every year without ever having heard the name of Jesus Christ. But many of those same people will die having heard of Coca-Cola. I just had an idea. Why don't we go to Coca-Cola and see if we can't put some scriptures on their cans? Anybody know anybody works for Coke? Might give them a call this week. When I hear these facts, friend, I don't hold my head down in shame or despair. Instead, I should be challenged, motivated, inspired to a new level of commitment in sharing the message of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins to anybody everywhere around the world. I've got to allow his commission to be my mission.
I've got to allow, we've got to allow mission impossible to become mission possible for the glory of God. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. There was a great calamity. Man fell out of favor with God. God said, I have a great cause getting them back. There's a great Calvary that Jesus gave to us that makes possible for lost humanity to be saved. And there's a great commission he's given us, not, an, not, not a great omission, but a great commission that we're to take the gospel around the world. We locally are missionaries internationally, and we have a great obligation. Yes. May we come and rise to the King of the Father.